in your Red Pew Bible. The reading is near the back, page 103. The gospel reading is from John 9, 1 to 41. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That, his, that is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to, to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. 
You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. I'd like to propose an alternative ending to this story. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees rejoiced because the man could see. They said, praise God, we didn't think this could happen on the Sabbath, but we were wrong. Tell us more about this man named Jesus. Tell us what you experienced so that we can understand more about the mystery of God in the world. If only the story went this way. If only the Pharisees were not so lost in protecting their status. If only we knew what it meant to live in a world where there is enough glory to go around and where we don't have to live defending our importance. Would you pray with me? Oh God, help us to see where we are blind. To see where we are defended. And to trust you enough to let down those defenses. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Flannery O'Connor, that masterful southern U.S. storyteller, has a story called Revelation, in which she tells the story of a woman named Mrs. Turpin who goes into, I believe, a doctor's office. And Mrs. Turpin goes in, and through, as she looks around the room, she silently puts everybody in their place. And then she begins to talk to them and, and make chit-chat. And in the way she does that and the way she asks the questions, just this little turn where she's letting everybody know exactly where they stand in relation to her. And letting them know that she is at the top of the heap, of course. But there's this one girl who's not playing her games, this one 13-year-old girl named, of all things, Mary Grace. And Mary Grace is sitting there in the, in the room and just her eyes are like darts at Mrs. Turpin. 
And she's looking at her with this evil, hateful look. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of no- nothing, nowhere, she, out of the middle of nowhere, she just throws her book right at Mrs. Turpin into her face. And then she flings herself across the room and begins to attack Mrs. Turpin. And of course, complete chaos erupts in the waiting room and everyone is pulling Mary Grace off of Mrs. Turpin and Mrs. Turpin leaves and she's a little bruised and, and beaten up and, and no, no, nothing more happens and she's okay. But she goes home and she settles down and she begins to talk to people and she begins to talk to herself and she finds that she just can't let it go. She finds that there is something in this moment, and we, as the reader, understand what's going on underneath it, that Mary Grace exposed Mrs. Turpin's internal dialogue. She exposed her ranking of people in the waiting room. She exposed how Mrs. Turpin lives her life trying to protect her own importance. And in the end of the story, Mrs. Turpin has this vision of this parade of people going up to heaven. And to her surprise, she sees what she calls the freaks and the lunatics. The white trash and, I will use the term, people of color. Moving ahead of her in the line up to heaven. And to her surprise, she is also in the line. We all have a little bit of Mrs. Turpin in us, I think. We all have a little bit of the Pharisees. The history of the world could be told through this this need, this compulsion of humanity to, to try and prove that we are at the top of the heap, to determine and maintain our social status or to improve our social status. Toni Morrison, in her lectures at Harvard University two years ago, asked this powerful question. Why should we want to know a stranger when it is easier to estrange another? Why should we want to close the distance when we can just close the gate? This past week, I had the great privilege to see the social science researcher and author Brene Brown speak um, in San Francisco. And she asked everyone to, to make a circle with their arms. So I'd like you to do that for a minute. Just make a circle with your arms. And this circle contains all of humanity and and everyone who has ever lived. And as long as people are in the circle, we can treat them as human. We can see their humanity. We can respond to them as we would respond to others, want ourselves to be responded to. But as soon as, and you can put your hands down, as soon as someone moves outside the circle, then they're no longer human then we're free to dehumanize them. Then we're free to separate them. Then we're free, as the Pharisees did, to say this man is a sinner and we do not even need to listen to him at all. 
This seems to be what's happening here in the text. The disciples ask that age-old, important, but unanswerable question, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And Jesus, through his actions and his engagement with the disciples, asks a different question. Why do we exclude others in order to preserve our status? Why can we not see the glory that surrounds us? Why are we so blind? The refusal of the Pharisees to acknowledge the glory of a man who was blind and now can see, and in some ways even worse, the refusal of his parents to own this man's healing, their very son. It confronts our desire to stay in that inner circle. It exposes their desire to to stay um, current with their social status. Our evolution as a species has asked, forced us to ask, who eats first? (laughs) Many of us still have that, that primal middle school fear. Maybe I'm the only one, but you know that little pit in your stomach? (laughs) Were you afraid you're going to say the wrong thing or you're going to be exposed somehow as foolish or you're going to be seen as the one who's picked last on the team? Our fear of failure, our fear of losing is so deep. And these are understandable and real fears. But Jesus in the story is calling us to move beyond them, inviting us to a different way of being in the world. It's no secret to any of us how this is our reality in our own country. How even our own Congress can't see the good in each other's party, can't actually have a conversation because they're so divided, because the the battle lines have been drawn around who wins and who loses rather than true governance. We see it in our own society in the ways that we are so polarized. How anyone who who voted for the other candidate can't be worth our consideration or even seeking to understand them. This week, Brene Brown said, it's not a matter of politics. It's a matter of recognizing the humanity in the other. Seth Godin says that our culture is deeply embedded in this status game. We're always looking for someone who is a little lower than us to make us feel better. And it's incredibly painful for us when we lose our status. So we do anything that we can, excluding others, going into debt, staying silent when we should speak, do anything in order to retain our status. The man's blindness and Jesus' refusal to keep Sabbath guaranteed the Pharisees their status. If the man is blind because of sin, they are righteous because they can see. If breaking Sabbath meant you were a sinner and couldn't be in the temple, then they were without sin because they kept the Sabbath. But in the story, their status games are exposed, and they are revealed to be the ones who are blind. 
Jesus calls them beyond their small games to, to true belonging. From the quick hit of excluding another to the deep joy of celebrating the glory in others. Toni Morrison also says, there are no strangers. There are only versions of ourselves, many of which we have not embraced, most of which we wish to protect ourselves from. The Pharisees are revealed as the ones who are blind because they are so actively rejecting the man who is blind. If only they could stop and realize, I am the one who could be blind. I am the one who may not be able to see everything. I am the one also who could be healed, who could be free. And so I will rejoice and listen and live with an open heart. I think the way to measure this, at least for myself, is to ask myself, what is my capacity to rejoice in the good news of others? What is my capacity to see the goodness in, in even those that I may vehemently disagree with or I may not like? Am I able to truly rejoice in the goodness and the good news of others? Pay attention to this. And as you do, remember that you are loved just as you are. You are enough. And this world desperately needs less people playing the status game and more people who are willing to see glory. As we go into just a few moments of silence, I invite you to close your eyes and take in this poem by Rumi that I read a bit of at the beginning of the service. There is a community of the spirit. <laughs> there is a community of the spirit. Join it and feel the delight of walking in the noisy street and being the noise. Drink all your passion and be a disgrace. Close both eyes to see with the other eye. Open your hands if you want to be held. Sit down in this circle. Quick, quit acting like a wolf and feel the shepherd's love filling you. Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Move outside the tangle of fear thinking. Live in silence. Flow down and down in always widening rings of being. Let's hold this in silence for just a moment. 